Hello, everybody. My name is Nicole Kaplan, and I'm the host of this podcast, Life's a Mom. I am so excited to introduce this guest. She is a pelvic floor therapist, and she's going to talk a little bit about the pelvic floor. And I'm sure many of us mamas have questions when it comes to this, especially after having a baby or if you're pregnant, because there is definitely a change in the pelvic floor after birthing a baby. So I want us all to say hello to Stephanie. Hi, Stephanie. Hi. So I'm so excited I, to be here. Yeah, thank you for coming. I firstly want to thank you for coming on to uh, talk today a little bit about all pelvic floor pelvic floor stuff. <laughs> um, yes. <laughs> can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your background? Yeah. So I am a pelvic floor physical therapist. Um, I own a clinic in um, the uh, North Fort Worth area. And um, I've been doing physical therapy for about 15 years now, um, but I've had this specialty of um, pelvic health. Um, I've been working towards all that for the last um, probably about nine, 10 years now. Um, I opened my clinic um, opened my clinic three years ago, come January. That's exciting. We're coming up on our three-year anniversary. And it's been, it's been fun. Amazing. It's been, it's been a wild ride. Yeah. That's awesome. So did you always know that you wanted to be in this field? Um, physical therapy I've known since, um, high school. So I, um, I was that typical, um, your typical physical therapist, um, <laughs> since you probably don't know, uh, tends to get into this field because they had an injury while playing uh, a sport and they enjoyed, um, working with their therapist and end up going into the field. So I knew, um, because of that same exact story, um, injuring myself in high school, I knew that this was the route I like wanted to take, but at the time I wanted to be in sports medicine. So I wanted to work with the athletes and my goal was like, I'm going to be a PT for like a major sports team or something, um, silly like that. Uh, so no, not the pelvic health side though. The pelvic health side came much much later actually okay so we're just gonna dive right into it so the what what is one of the main reasons a mom might feel um, pelvic floor pain after giving birth uh, well, the pelvic floor pain is likely more due to any kind of tearing that might happen um, during a delivery uh, that is that is our probably the most normal or most common cause of pelvic pain following um, delivery. But there's so many other things out there that uh, could be giving our moms um, problems after delivery, uh, including um, incontinence, uh, leaking urine or uh, feces after after delivery. That's probably the most common thing that we hear about afterwards is like, oh, I just peed myself. Like that is not normal and something that PTs can help with. And, um, and then the other side, like prolapse. So prolapse is a uh, where the organs uh, in the uh, uh, pelvic cavity start to droop or fall. And so it creates this heaviness feeling in the pelvis, which can definitely feel like um, a type of pain, but it's a little bit different than like your, what you um, expect to like when you stub your toe or something like that, a little bit different kind of pain. So that's probably the top three things that um, happen after childbirth. Yeah. So would you say that feeling that you're explaining is not pain? Is it more like the feeling of needing to go to the restroom? can be it can feel like that um it's just that it's this it really is more described as a heaviness or feeling like something is falling out um that's kind of more the symptom Um, but feeling like you need to go to the bathroom all the time is definitely another symptom that we deal with a lot here in our clinic um like needing to go to the bathroom every 10 minutes is also not a normal sensation you don't have, there's no such thing as a small bladder. It's just a bladder that won't stretch. And um, so if you're in the bathroom all the time, also something to, uh, pelvic PT is also something you should consider. Yeah, definitely. So, okay, <laughs> I'm going to be super open here and this is embarrassing, but, Absolutely. Um, you know, I actually pooped during pushing. So I pushed for two yes. hours, Stephanie, and my baby was too big. Yeah. My baby was born 10.4 ounces. I had to end up in a C-section. Um but gotcha. after, even after that, even after giving birth, I, after I gave birth and I had to poop again, I felt like I was giving birth all over again. So how can I make sure this yes. won't happen like for my next baby? 
Yes. Um, so probably the best thing you can do is get in to see a pelvic PT um, and make sure that you have that every all the dysfunction that um, delivery and carrying a baby for nine months caused um, can actually um, be improved upon. Um, just because when you don't have that baby's pressure there anymore, sometimes it feels like the symptoms get better. Um, but the but the actual issue is still around. And so going in and seeing a pelvic PT and making sure that that, that pelvic floor is like good, um, that's mobile and moving well, could be a really good option for you to make sure it doesn't happen again. Uh, but also um, doing some diaphragmatic breathing would be a really good place to start. Our, our pelvic floor and diaphragm um, work together as a unit. And so when you start to breathe with your diaphragm, and I, what I mean by that is probably the easiest way to explain it since we're on a podcast and we're talking, is to think about a, um, a belly breath or a umbrella breath. So thinking about your um, abdominal cavity expanding at 360 degrees like an umbrella opening. Um, so as you breathe in, it expands, and then as you breathe out, letting go, and doing some of that, well, it starts to turn on the automatic function of the pelvic floor, where the pelvic floor starts to coordinate with that breath and starts to move a little more freely. So you'll see your pelvic floor like relax or drop as you breathe in, and it bounces back up like a trampoline as you breathe out. So it's not a Kegel. I won't say it's not a Kegel. It's where the pelvic floor is just responding to that change in pressure in the from the diaphragm. So doing some diaphragmatic breathing would be a really good way to um, get that pelvic floor moving. So hopefully we won't have this issue again afterwards, yeah, the next baby. Absolutely. I'll, I'll definitely try that. I just think it's crazy in a really good way that your breath can affect like it, it just just by breathing, it, you, you can like solve certain problems. I think that's great. Yeah, I know. Right. It's, it's so funny because um, people think that it's just, so, it's so hard. Like, what are you going to do? Just Kegels. And actually the Kegels are not, the breathing is a better exercise than Kegels ever will be. Because wow. um, we all just, we all don't breathe well. Um, we all are so uptight and um, intense. And because we're so stressed out that we, we all breathe in our chest and we don't actually get that full like diaphragmatic breath and from a physiological standpoint from the nervous system standpoint um breathing in uh breathing in that meditation type breath is so good for our health and our well-being in general um blood pressure and heart rate and um our cortisol levels all of those things uh respond to our diaphragmatic breathing so you work you work with this with your patients yes absolutely wow that's great um, well, I want to move on to the next topic. Um, sex. Yeah, absolutely. So many moms, many of my mom's friends personally have admitted to me that sex hurts after having a baby. And I know most mm-hmm. doctors say that after six weeks, it's safe, quote unquote, to go and go, you know, to go back yes. to normal. So why does sex hurt for some women after those six weeks if we're in the clear? That typically goes back to that perineal tearing. Okay, so when you have a tear in the um, in in the pelvic floor, you create an injury, and just like every other muscle in the body, like if you tore your bicep muscle, then you would expect some pain the next time you moved it, right? Right. Um. So the same thing happens in the pelvic floor, and even if you didn't tear, let's just say you um had a a long pushing phase, like you were you're pushing for two hours. That is a lot of stress on a muscle, um, especially since um a lot of people don't do pelvic PT while they're pregnant, um, which is something that I am going to like uh, shout from the mountaintops, like do pelvic PT while you're pregnant. Let's let's try and get some wellness here instead of, instead of, um, doing this, um, doing this, like after the fact, let's rehab things. Let's prevent it from happening to begin with. Okay. So that's my little, um, soapbox (laughs) there, but, um, learning how to, um, learning how to push effectively would go a long way in preventing all of this from occurring. Um, but back to my main point, even if we are, have a long pushing phase or it didn't have a, you, that is an injury to the muscles themselves. So whether or not we actually physically tore, um, using them and working them for 
those hours and carrying a baby again for 10 months is a lot of stress on that muscle group. And so afterwards, you take the stress off, sure, but you never got to like pre, um, you never got to rehab that muscle effectively, just like you would any other muscle that you injured. If you injured your bicep, going back to that muscle, and you overstretched it, it's going to take a little bit of time for things to kind of go back, and you may need the help of a PT to rehab that muscle effectively so that you don't have pain going forward. Um, and that's the same is true for a pelvic floor as well. Yeah, you know what? Everything you've said, it just makes me, my jaw drop, because it's like, I asked myself, why do, you know, OBGYN or doctors not recommend this to pregnant women? Because we don't, especially a first-time pregnant woman, how are we supposed to know? I, I agree. I don't, I don't know why that is, um, that they don't recommend it. Um, I do think that I want to take the, or let them off the hook a little bit there is that this isn't their, this isn't their forte to be quite honest with you. The pelvic health, um, niche is, um, relatively new. And so it's, I think the newer doctors, as they come out, um, of school, they have heard about some of these things and they also realize the, um, importance of collaboration with other practitioners. Uh Um, and so I think as we get a new generation of doctors out there, I think they're going to be more willing to be like, yeah, I think this is great for you. Um, but at the same time, these other doctors who have not had a lot of experience with it, and to be quite honest with you, they don't know that, um, like, they don't know how to evaluate a pelvic floor. They don't know how to evaluate a muscle injury because that's not what they learn in school. They learn how to keep a mommy and baby safe during delivery. And that is a very, very, very important job. Very important job. And I don't want that job. (laughs) (laughs) I, I don't want that job. Um, and so that's what they, that's what they know. That's what they learn. And that's their job to do. But what I would like for us to see is for them to go, you know what, like, I don't know this information, but I know somebody that does. And I know that this would be beneficial to, um, my patients going forward. And so I'm going to recommend it. And we have, we have some great doctors that have really realized this and, um, and they're fantastic to work with because they're just, they, they get that collaboration and they, and they recommend it to everybody. And I, I love that. Um, I love that. So I think it's, I think it's moving that direction. I do. Um, but for the time being, I think that we also have to be arbitrators of our own health and wellness. And so I think that that is um, important for us to be always looking for those things that can improve our health and um, hopefully people will realize through this that PT is something that can help them. Yeah, no, I agree. Now, I was lurking on your Instagram, which, by the way, for all the listeners, I'm going to link all our information in the description. Um, but I was looking at your Instagram, Stephanie, and I saw that one of your posts, it said that back pain can stem from your pelvic floor. And I was like, how come? And it's yeah. something fixed. Yeah. You know, no, absolutely. Um. No, absolutely. It can 100% stem from um, pelvic floor issues. Um, Your pelvic floor is the initiator of core stability. So when when your pelvic floor contracts, it creates a cascade of contraction in and around the rest of your core musculature. Without your pelvic floor firing, it you cannot get the rest of your core to fire appropriately, which means that if your pelvic floor is dysfunctional in some form or fashion, then the rest of your core is going to also be dysfunctional as well. Um, and so if your core is what protects your back from taking on too much stress, then that is going to lead to low back pain. Um, and so what I found through the years is that, um, a good portion, I think the research is somewhere in the 80 to 90% of range of women with low back pain also have pelvic floor dysfunction. They're either just not talking about it or they don't realize that it's even related to each other. So it's, it's very, very high correlation. Yeah, no, I, I, that's, this is so much information, by the way, I just, <laughs> no, I never. Um, not too much. No, not too much information overload here. <laughs> no, this is great. Um, so you just recommended that pregnant moms should come see you, but should they also come after mm-hmm. giving birth? Oh, all the uh, anybody, anybody, and any woman, and any amount. Well, honestly, you can also extend this into male pelvic health too. But we're talking about women here, so. 
a woman anytime in her life cycle should um, keep PT as an option. Um, so yes, 100%, you should see a pelvic floor PT while you're pregnant, but actually postpartum too, um, even from a like wellness perspective or going back to that, um, preventative care, even if you don't think you're having a lot of trouble, maybe you're at that eight, 10 week mark, uh, postpartum and you're like, you know what? I'm not doing bad. Like it might be a good idea to go ahead and get checked out just to make sure that there's not issues that will snowball into something else later on in life. Yeah. It could just be a once a done, like going in, getting an evaluation, like, okay, nope, everything looks really good, but here's some recommendations on how to get back to X, Y, or Z, whatever exercise or whatever activity or whatever lifestyle you're wanting to get back to. Um, if we can give those pointers and things like that. So even from that side, all the way up to if you're having issues, um, at, I think that p- public PT is definitely recommended in that um, postpartum period. Okay. Yeah, no, that's good. So any moms out there, run to your pelvic floor therapist. Um, <laughs> um, so I worked out um, with a personal trainer and she was specifically mm-hmm. um, not, you know, it worked specialized with pregnant women, you know, and, and I also did prenatal yoga and I found, yes. but again, I don't know if I know that, like, I'm just talking out of my butt here, but I, I find that my pelvic floor <laughs> is wrong. So how do I actually know? And you know, can I just feel this way due to the exercises I did? Um, so there is, if you're not having a lot of symptoms, um, then the likelihood of you having um, continued pelvic floor dysfunction is, um, you know, relatively low. Um, doesn't mean that we can't like um, go ahead and do that eval and just see, like, see where you're at just to make sure again that there's not something that you're um that may be connected that you don't really realize is connected, like um, maybe something going on with your hip or your like low back, like we already kind of talked about. Um, but more commonly, uh, you would see dysfunction with, um, so any type of leaking, any type of leaking, even if it's just a little bit when you cough or laugh or sneeze, um, that's a sign of dysfunction. Any kind of pain, if there's any amount of pain in your pelvic floor, um, in and around your lower abdomen, uh, things like that, um, any type of hip or low back pain, um, frequency. So going to the bathroom uh, all the time, that's another sign and symptom, uh, feeling like you can't hold it. So like if you feel the urge to go to the bathroom and it's like, nope, I got to go right now. That's also a sign of pelvic floor dysfunction. Um, painful periods are another sign of, of pelvic floor issues, um, and potentially other things too, but it's definitely something that you can rule out. Um, and so those are your typical like signs and symptoms of issues going on. Wow. It's, it's, a, it's a lot. So pretty much any time, it's just always safe to go see a pelvic floor therapist because we don't know what's going on down there. We don't know how to check it. You know, that's why we have you guys. Yes, um, exactly. So I that's why we're here. Um, do you guys like, is this covered by insurance or is this usually out of pocket expense? Uh, so it is a, so it's physical therapy services. So if your insurance company covers physical therapy, uh, physical therapy, then it should cover this. Now you will find that um, pelvic PTs are, you find them both in network and out of network. But what um, I have found is that uh, <laughs> this is getting into the weeds a little bit when you start talking about it, because our clinic is an out of network provider. So I believe what's best for my patients is actually functioning outside of the insurance world. Um, that doesn't mean that my patients are not getting covered by services. I actually just talked to somebody the other day who was able to get um, her insurance company to cover it at an in-network rate. Um, and that's, that's, that's freaking fantastic. I love that. Yeah. Um, but what we feel like best serves our patient is being able to cut out the insurance company who tells us, um, what you, what I can and can't do and how many visits I can have and how long I can see you for, and just be able to focus on the patient and give the patient what they need. Uh, and so we see, we, because of that, we get to see you one-on-one for a full hour. Um, unlike some of your in-network options, which have to limit that time sometimes or balance it to have two or three patients at a time. Wow. 
Um, and then um, we also, because we get to see you for a full hour, I typically only need to see you once a week. Again, compared to in-network where it's like two times a week. And I, I get really good results within the first three to five visits um, instead of like your typical like 12 um 12 visit, 14 visit kind of um, situation. So we tend to get results faster, um, but we are less covered by insurance. Um, doesn't mean that we aren't cheaper though, um, because if you have a metro deductible, we are probably cheaper than in-network too, which is another like situation. With. <laughs> uh, so like I said, we can get off way up into the weeds here <laughs> with different insurance plans, um, but know that there usually are in your area, both options available. It's just a matter of what kind of care, what you resonate with um, the most and what you want out of um, your PT because it's all about what you want to get out of it. I love that feeling when you walk into a doctor's office and you feel like it's a factory, like this is more yes, your time. Like you care about your patients. I love that. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Um, so uh, this is back to pooping. <laughs> I know that <laughs> I know that you're not supposed to push when pooping. Um, it's supposed to just like come out on its own, pretty much slip out. <laughs> um, but in one of my birthing classes, the teacher was saying that that is how I should feel to give birth. Um, that was not my experience. Um, <laughs> so, like, how is it really supposed to work? That the baby is just supposed to slip out like poop? Is that what yeah. you meant by that? That's okay. Supposed to poop. I don't people push hard. Many people are constipated. We don't talk about this, but it's important to talk about it. It's true. No, it's 100% um, important to cons- uh, to talk about constipation. Um, I don't know if you saw, um, I had a reel just a couple of, uh, like a week or two ago that talked about how constipation was likely a, a, a contributing factor to your hormone imbalance. Um, and something that you don't think about, but our bodies like rid ourselves of waste through pooping. Um, and one of those things that it does is it dumps um, estrogen in our bodies, extra estrogen through poop. And so when you don't rid yourself of poop, your body recycles it. And so you end up with these um, high estrogen issues, which is like heavy bleeding and moodiness and uh, low sex drive. And all these things are caused by high estrogen because we're not pooping because we're all constipated. Uh, I mean, goodness, uh, we could go, I could go on for an hour about things like that, but constipation is a big, big issue and something that we need to address. Um, and again, we need to be taught how to push. Um, and so going back to childbirth, like one of the things that we teach in our childbirth class that we host here in our clinic is that you are not actually supposed to push your baby out. Your uterus pushes your baby out. It feels good to push and it's an accessory um, to getting baby out, but you should not be having to push out your baby. And why, why did you, for instance, need to feel like you, like you couldn't push that baby out? What well, you were pushing as hard as you could and it wouldn't come. Well, likely it was more that your pelvic floor wouldn't get out of the way. That's the job of the pelvic floor during childbirth is to get out of the way so that baby can come down. But if you're constipated, another sign of pelvic floor dysfunction, if you're constipated, your pelvic floor is holding and not opening up and letting out. And so it could, could be, obviously have not evaluated you. I don't know. I can't speak to you personally, but could be a reason why you're not pooping and also could be a reason why you might've struggled with actual childbirth itself. Wow. I didn't know the pelvic floor is supposed to move out the way. Yeah. It needs to get out of the way. We don't need to be doing Kegels to prepare for childbirth. (laughs) We need to be like (laughs) figuring out how to let our pelvic floor go. (laughs) Yeah. I wonder if it also has anything to do with like laying down because some people say it's better to like be on all fours or I I don't know if this position matter in that case. It does. It does matter. Gravity is always your friend when you're talking about um, a baby coming out of your body. Um, so anything upright is um, research has shown to be more effective um, with um, positioning a baby and delivering um, and being on your back. 
is harder to push um, because you don't have gravity assisting. Uh, that being said, it does allow for a doctor to have the best view of things going on. And so that's usually why people end up on their backs is because the doctor needs to be able to see what's going on. Um, and so it's just dependent on how willing your doctor is to work with you and what's going on with you and baby too. So if there's something going on and happening and doctor needs to be there <laughs> and, and figure out like that, we have to balance those two things, safety of mom and baby plus getting baby out uh, most effectively. So. Oh, of course. Of course. I actually have a fun fact, Stephanie. Um, the reason oh, yeah, why women, called? yeah, the, the reason why women actually started giving birth on their backs was going all the way back to King Louis the fourth of France. Um, he uh-huh. wanted to see his mistresses give birth to his, his children so he would bring a crowd and in order to see it all she had to lay on her back but before that women would like sit on chairs or and that's how it became convenient for doctors yes exactly exactly it's one of those things that we just passed on (laughs) down to the generation yeah that doesn't necessarily benefit anyone except for king louis (laughs) just the way we've always done it yeah except for king louis (laughs) just the way we've always done it yes and that's true for a lot of our practices and hopefully slowly they're starting to make their way out but unfortunately we still have to fight some of those battles <laughs> yeah I'm with you on that um oh so really I'm really excited to talk about this I saw that you're so big on dry needling can you talk a little bit about that and what oh. are some of the benefits yeah dry needling I love dry needling um so dry needling is um the Western version of like acupuncture. Okay. So it's not acupuncture. Um, most people who are um, specialized or uh, certified to dry needle do not have an acupuncture license. So that is um, where they've gone to Chinese medical school. They're working with like meridian, chi, energy flow. Um, it goes back into Eastern medicine. Um, so that is not what we are doing. But we are using the acupuncture needle in a Western studied way. So um, it takes Western science and melds it with the needle itself. It's really pretty cool because um, it works on both the muscular system and the nervous system at the same time. So the muscular system, it works in the trigger points in the muscle, causing a twitch response in the muscle um, belly itself, and which causes relaxation of the muscle. Um, in the nervous system, it goes back to a little bit of pain science where it's kind of like waving the white flag to your brain because of this little micro injury that the needle causes, saying that we need help in this area. And it sends out the inflammatory response of the body, um, which is basically uh, increased blood flow, increased healing response. It's kind of like if you were to cut your finger or cut your arm on something, like are, you would never doubt that your body would be able to heal that back up right right it's that same system that increase in blood flow to the area that increased in healing response um, which is what is triggered by this needle in other places of the body but because it's such a micro injury there's nothing really to heal from that and so the body is able to use that um that um inflammatory process to work on the rest of the system or work on whatever else is going on in that area at the time, which usually just means this flushing out of like, uh, flushing out of fluid in the area that, um, inflammation, uh, uh, gosh, um, how do I describe that? So inflammation is stagnant and inflammatory process is uh, that movement of the fluid. So it's starting up the inflammatory process to get rid of the inflammation. Make sense? Yeah. I mean, that is incredible. And you do this at your, so cool in your place? Yes. I love it. I love it for myself. I love it for my patients and a good majority of my patients like it too. The ones that don't like it are the ones that are really scared of needles. Like if you don't like a needle, then, um, you you probably aren't going to like you yourself being poked, um, (laughs) by it. Like, you know, 20 acupuncture needles. Right. Um, so those people don't typically like to do dry needling. Um, but I sometimes will, I sometimes will encourage them to try it at least once to see what they think. Um, but the vast majority of people do enjoy it um, and actually find it to be very comfortable. It sounds 
kind of like medieval and torturous, but it's really not. It's it's actually very comfortable. I mean, there's so many benefits to it. Exactly. Exactly. And what I like about it the most is that it's very quick response. So you feel the benefits sometimes immediately, um, the most of the time within 24 hours. 24 hours? Yep. That's what research has shown to be the... Um, the, the normal like response to that treatment is within 24 hours, we see a good, a good change That's in incredible. symptoms or whatever. Oh my God. I, I, this is yeah. awesome. I really want to try. I'm scared of needles by the way, but I definitely want to try this. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So listen, just don't look at them. <laughs> yeah, I definitely, definitely will. Um, so do some women need to get surgery ever if they feel as though like nothing's working for them? How can a woman know when it's time to consider surgery if that's even something you recommend? Yeah. Um, so I do think that there are times when surgery is something that's warranted. I don't think there's ever going to be a time and space where um, PT can heal everything. But I do think that and my own personal opinion is that you should exhaust the conservative treatments first before you go in for a surgery. And I also feel like you should be very well prepared for said surgery. Um, so let's say that you're having pelvic organ prolapse and that it is a grade four, which basically means that um, the organ itself is like protruding out of the vaginal canal. Okay. That is a, a point in time where it is highly likely that a surgery is going to be something that is necessary. Um, but if you don't go in well prepared, meaning that we haven't worked on the issues that caused the problem in the first place, then the surgery is only going to be able to do so much. I mean, yes, we'll be able to pull the organ back up, but if we're constant, if we're still putting a ton of pressure down on the organ, then we, that failure rate of that surgery goes up. And so if we can do the conservative treatments first to get our bodies at the very minimum, well-prepared for said surgery, then we're going to have much better outcomes for the surgery themselves anyway. And maybe we'll stop people from having surgery that didn't need it to begin with. I think people feel like surgery is the quick fix. It's like, well, gonna have to have surgery so I might as well skip everything else beforehand right but there's something to be said about um prehabbing uh, getting your body in a better state before doing something as extreme as a surgery to begin with um so that that's kind of where I stand and I think it's warranted absolutely I think that those are typically the extreme cases um but I also think that no matter what you should try some of those conservative treatments first and see where it takes you. And it's not going to, it's not, you're not wasting your time because all of that improvement that you're making is only going to benefit you um, in the surgery world anyway. Okay. And it, it, do you, have you ever recommended surgery though? Even though you, you know, you're the, you're, you're, you rather them try it, um, everything else before it, like, would you recommend, do you ever recommend sh- it? Oh, Sure. I've, I've recommended surgery before. And like I said, I think it's usually those extreme cases where um, therapy isn't working. Um, they've tried some of the other um, treatments out there um, and that it just hasn't seemed to really work. That's when I feel like surgery is um, surgery is an option. Um, what I what I don't like or what I um, what I get a little sad about is for people who have um, something like incontinence, um, so leaking urine, and they don't try anything else. They just get told by a surgeon that, oh, a, a bladder a bladder lift is going to help you there. And so they go in, they do the surgery, and they do the repair, and they, it works. But two or three later years later, they're back to leaking again. And, and now we've done a repair and a surgery, and so we've damaged other things that now I can't do anything about. Um, and so, and this is true anywhere in the body. This is not just true for the pelvic floor for uh, pelvic organ prolapse or things. Um, I think that people really think of like, oh, well, we're fixing it, but we're not, we're, if we never like take 
if we never consider the reason why we had it or needed that surgery in the first place and fix those things, then our surgery rates are just our surgery. Um, sorry, our surgery failure rates are just going to be higher in general. And I, I don't want I don't want anybody to go through a surgery um, and then not come out as successful as possible. Yeah, I fear I don't like surgery, to be honest. And I think some people in their heads, like you said, like, it's just an easy way out. Like, well, I don't have to go through all this. And they look at it as a waste of time. But it's not a waste of time. You know, it's it's almost like you can't go to the gym for one day and then expect to be fit. It takes time. Yes. Right. Just like exactly. Cavity. You exactly. Get a cavity overnight. You got to brush your teeth every single day in order, you know, to take care right. of your oral hygiene. So uh, I think. Yeah, I'm I agree on that. I think the cavity is a great, um, a great uh, analogy uh, illustration there, yeah. because if you get a cavity and the um, going in and doing a um, a filling is going to be the like the, the surgery, right? We're going to go in, we're going to do the filling. But if you never go and brush your teeth after that, then eventually you're going to need a root canal. And if you still don't go in and brush your teeth, (laughs) then you're going to need to have that tooth pulled. And that's the same thing that happens in a surgery too. We have to go and we, yes, we want it. We potentially need to have it surgically repaired, but if we don't go back and do the things that would help to improve this, then we're going to need a worse surgery and then a worse surgery. So, um, yeah, no, I agree. I think that I think it's a perfect analogy, um, or illustration, um, for what I'm talking about. Yeah. So if you don't mind sharing, what does a typical pelvic floor PT session look like? What are some of the things that you go over with your patients? So our, um, so yeah, absolutely. Our, our evaluation is going to go head to toe. Uh, we're going to look at you as a full body. Okay. We're never going to just look at your pelvic floor um, because nothing works in isolation. You always have to look at all the other things. So we look um, in the eval, we will have, we have a, um, a form that we literally go head to toe and we talk about your headaches and we talk about your TMJ and we talk about your neck pain and we talk about anything that's going in your upper body. We go all the way down to your feet and talk about like, do you have any plantar fasciitis? Do you have any of these other like knee issues or hip issues? Because we have to look at you as a full person. Also going to do a pelvic floor exam. I think that's a very important part of a um, of pelvic floor treatment. Um, if you went to a knee doctor for your knee pain and they didn't look at your knee, you would be a little frustrated. <laughs> Same thing, you should be frustrated if your pelvic floor therapist is not looking at your pelvic floor. Um, so we do need to evaluate that because we don't get the full picture unless we do look at those things. So that's our, that's like what you kind of look at for our eval. We might look at your range of motion. We're going to look at your strength. We're going to look at your flexibility. We're going to look at your stability. Um, have you do some functional movements and see like how you're moving through space and how you live in your body. And then from that, we're going to build out goals. So we're going to say, okay, well, I think X, Y, and Z is contributing to your constipation because that's what we're going to use since we talked about it previously Uh, so these are the things we're going to work on and so our treatment sessions are going to be very and our clinic is very hands-on we do a lot of what's called manual therapy which is um like probably for the for the lay person like uh, what you would kind of expect from like a chiropractor um joint mobility type stuff but then also working on the muscle tissue so doing kind of like massage something like that kind of a balance and a hybrid of the two of those alongside of maybe some um dry needling um some other other hands-on modalities um and then follow it up with a um, some exercises and things that you can take home to do at home so our a balance on our clinic is probably about 75% hands-on treatment and about 25% like exercise. Um, never are you working with somebody in a gym by yourself, like with a, um, a, with doing exercises, never are you in a room by yourself kegling on a, with a machine hooked up to a machine, um, or even doing self stretches and dilator ever. Somebody is right next to you all the time, um, doing, uh, working with you and making sure that you're doing things correctly, that we don't need to modify things, um, that we're getting you better in totality. So that's our clinic and how our treatment sessions are 
um, structured. I think that's great. And most people would prefer that. Like I said, no one wants to feel like they're going into a factory sitting there by themselves doing Kegels in a room. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. 100%. Also, is it important to do Kegels throughout your whole life? Like, like when should a woman start doing Kegels or any, a man, anybody, it's good for anybody. I'm not a huge fan of just doing Kegels anyway. Um, So Kegels, I equate those to an ankle pump. Like if you were to like pump your ankles up and down, no one would deny that you pumping your ankles up and down is an important movement for life. You need your ankles to go up and you need your ankles to go down in order to walk in order to use a car and press the accelerator. Those are all important movements of the body, but nobody thinks that ankle pumps are ever going to get you stronger, (laughs) right? Like you're not going to sit around and go like, oh, well, I'm exercising right now and I'm just pumping my ankles back and forth, right? (laughs) It's not an effective exercise. And so I think the same thing about Kegels. Pelvic floor mobility moving up and pelvic floor mobility moving down is important movement for the pelvic floor to do. But doing a Kegel is like doing an ankle pump. It's really not going to get you anywhere. So do I think it's important to be doing all the time? No, I don't. I think you should have good control over the movement of your pelvic floor. I think that you should be able to control it well. I think that you, when on cue, you should be able to lift your pelvic floor as high as cue can and also be able to drop um, and relax it as well. Um, That's important. But do I need you to go around doing Kegels? No. No, I don't. I don't need you to do that at all. Um, In fact, I would rather us do other exercises, hip um, strengthening and um, uh, core strengthening before I would have you do just straight up Kegels just in general. So I prefer, like if I'm going to recommend something, I'm going to recommend a exercise program with a wide variety of exercises. So core, hip, knee, ankle, all of those exercises, just having a really well-rounded fitness regimen is a better option for your pelvic floor strength and stability in general. Okay. Noted. And also you've been <laughs> um, diaphragmatic breathing. And the diaphragmatic breathing. Yes. Yeah, Don't forget that. Because... We definitely need to add that in for sure. Yeah. I mean, it's like you said, we need to learn how to breathe. It's crazy. We also have to learn how to poop. So, um, I, <laughs> Um, so when I, my husband and I, we went to three different birthing classes. Uh, I was just nervous about birth in general. So he would, he was very supportive, yeah. but everywhere we went, they would talk about this diaphragmatic breathing. And I'm thinking yes. to myself, now that I'm talking to you, I think this is something I should have done when I was like 12. Oh, for sure. Right. <laughs> yeah. Like, this- I think it's originally around like puberty time that people start to lose this And as women, I feel like it's because of um, a little bit and because of the, um, our culture and wanting to be thin, like everyone walks around like sucking their tummy in, trying not to be like, not to be fat. Right. Um, At least that's where it starts to stem from at least. And our female, from the female perspective, Um, because I think that's when we start losing our ability to breathe diaphragmatically you watch a toddler walk around they don't care if their bellies are hanging out they've got their they're just walking around belly big and breathing well yeah (laughs) and then suddenly along the way we lose it yeah and that's when things go south yeah so how soon should a woman come into uh, a pt session like at all like should you just wait till she's pregnant as soon as they're having symptoms. Um, so we do see pediatrics at our clinic. So that's, um, from a pelvic health perspective, that's bedwetters and delayed potty trainers. Those what? are all pelvic floor issues. And so we treat those as kiddos. Um, in our adolescent time frame, um, we treat pel- um, pelvic pain, pain with tampon use, um, painful periods, we start treating that in the adolescent age group, uh, low back and hip pain, because like I said, it all goes together. Um, and then from a, we also see women in their early twenties before they've had kids who are usually dealing with more of that pelvic pain. Um, and sometimes the frequency going to the bathroom all the time. Yeah. So as soon as you're having symptoms, even, no matter when you are in your lifespan, um, as far as pregnancy is concerned, if you're not having symptoms, um, getting checked out around the like, 
32 week mark to a learn how to diaphragmatically breathe (laughs) (laughs) and learn about perineal stretching and do some like push prepping um, to learn how to do all of this stuff during labor so that you are well prepared to push a baby out. And then postpartum, um, again, as soon as you're having symptoms, I've seen a woman uh, two days postpartum because she was having um, some hip and low back pain from the epidural. Um, And so why suffer? Like, why do you need to suffer for that? Like, just come and do it. Now we have to wait for um, clearance or uh, a certain amount of time to do a pelvic exam. So anywhere between, if we're just coming for well checkup, um, anywhere between six, four to six weeks, it'd be where I would put you postpartum um, just to do that um, wellness visit, just to make sure everything's good. Okay. Yeah. Really quickly. I yeah. heard a story. It's not, I don't know this woman personally, but after she gave birth, she came home and when she went to the bathroom, her organs came out. Is that anything to do with pelvic floor? <laughs> so that would be that pelvic organ prolapse that we've talked about. Wow. So um, it can happen. That is a very, very, very extreme case. Okay. Um, the majority, the vast majority of women do not have that problem. And likely, it, likely there was something either that happened during the delivery or she had issues going on before um, her delivery that she's just not like saying okay. in this particular, yeah. And just not saying in this case, um, cause that is a very, very extreme, um, uh, happening. It can absolutely. But at the same time, the vast majority of people do not have that same experience. So don't, don't let it like, we'll just rest assured audience who was listening <laughs> to this. Okay. We don't necessarily have to worry about that. <laughs> um, so another one more question, um, two more actually. Uh, I know you mentioned you teach the birthing classes at your facility. Uh, if I may ask, how much do you typically charge to teach a birthing class? And uh, for any listeners who don't live in Texas, <laughs> uh, do, uh, do you do any virtual classes? <coughs> Sorry. <coughs> don't worry, I'm going to cut all that out. <laughs> good grief it's okay (laughs) i was holding that one back for a while oh man i'm sorry don't worry cough all you (laughs) we're almost done i have one request oh my gosh (laughs) all right i swear no, I Three guess. weeks now. <laughs> you want to <laughs> water and come back? Hold on. Here we go. I'm drinking some water. <clears throat> mm. I feel horribly. I'm sorry. <clears throat> My problem was is that I held it back. That's what, yeah. Um, you did a really good job. As as not to tell. <laughs> I was holding it back, and so I finally just tipped oh. over the edge. <clears throat> oh, Lord have mercy. No, no rush. I'm I've gonna all steroids. this out. I've had all kinds of crap from the doctor, and it is not getting rid of it. Oh God! Time <coughs> tea. I don't know, man. Ugh. I feel like I've done all the homeopathic stuff too, and it just whatever it is, it will not let go. Oh, I'm so sorry. Okay, as soon as as soon as my voice is no longer like shaky, I'll start again. Do you okay. want to ask that question again? Or yes, yes, let me do that. Um, I know, <coughs> I know you okay. all teach. Okay, okay, I think I'm good now. <laughs> Two more que- this this question, then one more question. All right, here we go. Uh, I know you also teach birthing classes at your facility. How much do you typically charge to teach a birthing class? And for any listeners who don't live in Texas, do you do the classes virtually? Um, yeah, so we do. We do a um, seven-week birth class. Um, I feel like um, I really wanted a comprehensive class when we planned this out. I really wanted it to be very, um, very well, um, well-rounded class where we talk about not only like giving birth, um, 
giving birth without medication, because that's when you find a birthing class outside of a hospital system um, that your like doctor is recommending, it typically is like geared towards somebody who doesn't want like epidurals, who doesn't want any of the medication that's offered in a hospital. Um, but the majority of women out there are delivering in hospitals and a good number of them want to have some of these other interventions. And so uh, they need birth education too. And so what we came up with was a very comprehensive birth class where we talk about um, pain management from a um, more natural perspective. Because what if you don't get the epidural on time? Like that's how that happens. Um, but also like for those women who do want to, or are considering some of these interventions to be able to um, like really get to get to um, see and hear what those interventions are, what options are available, what are the risks, what are the benefits and weigh those decisions for themselves. Because more, uh, more importantly than anything else, I think from a mental health perspective is to have a birth that you feel good about. And no matter what kind of birth that is, that's going to benefit you from a, like from the postpartum, um, like baby blues and depression and things like that. If we were just to consider the mom a little bit more and really try and make sure that she has all the knowledge and she's making decisions that are right for her, we're going to have so much better mental health outcomes um, going forward. So that's what our birth class is meant to be. And so it is a very long class. Um, it is six sessions of birth education and then one session of lactation um, uh, lactation consulting. So it's got a, we have a lactation consultant that comes in and she teaches like how to prepare for breastfeeding as well, because those are like, that's the big thing in postpartum period to, that everybody worries about. Yeah. Um, and so our class is $350 um, right this second. Um, our next one is January the 25th. We do offer a virtual option. So we have had um, this last session that we did in um, October. Um, we had somebody call in from Chicago, and so we did a virtual option for them, and she took the class, and she had um, nothing but good things to say about um, about it, uh, and it, it went well virtually as well. So we do have a virtual option if anybody is outside of Texas and would like to take our take our birth class. So like I said, the next one starts January the 25th, and we offer it three times a year. That's awesome. So if you're pregnant and you need a really good uh, birthing class. I will link all Stephanie's information in the description. Uh, one last question, Stephanie, that I'm going to let yeah. you know. Um, what is one piece of advice you can give a pregnant mom who's like about to give birth and maybe she feels guilty that she hasn't gone to a pelvic floor therapist yet? Is there any piece of advice you can maybe give her before she goes to give birth? Well, I don't think anyone should ever feel guilty about not knowing information. <laughs> like you, you only know what you know, right? Right. Um, and so if this is something where it's like, okay, yeah, I'm about to deliver and, um, and I, or I just delivered and I didn't know that a pelvic floor therapist was something that I should even be considering. Um, or I didn't know the extent of what a pelvic floor therapist can do. Um, I, I think that just, I think that just this, the sooner rather than later at this point, like whenever you figure that out, whenever you decide like, oh, you know what, I need help, um, don't delay it further from there. Cause that's when people really start to regret it is like, oh, I knew about this and then I didn't do something about it. And now it's worse or now it's, it's not getting better. And now my life is being effective. Um, that's, that's when people start to regret. Um, so there's never, it's never too late and it's also never too early to be considering, um, taking care of your body. Love that. Um, Stephanie, I want to thank you for coming on today and teaching us so much about the pelvic floor today. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's been fun. I've enjoyed it. And I've also enjoyed like listening to your other like, podcasts too. <laughs> oh, thank you. Same here. Yeah. Um, and to everyone else listening, I hope you've enjoyed this episode and I look forward to speaking with you all next week. Toodaloo. Toodaloo.